Thank you for joining us for week two of Paparazzi, where we will continue to explore our lives as followers of Christ in a world that's always watching. Ladies, tonight is our Prodigal Women's event here at Bullard High School at 5 p.m. We're excited for our partnership with the Fresno Rescue Mission to hear from them and to assemble all the donations that you guys have gathered and donated. So thank you so much. Our signups are live for our fall small groups. They're gonna be starting that first week of October. So head to the website or the app, check out all the small groups that we are having this fall. Find one that works for you and sign up today. Next week is Prodigal's sixth birthday. We're gonna be celebrating here at Bullard at 10 a.m. We're launching all of our new merch. We're gonna have a food truck, some face painting, and lots of fun. So join us, we'll see you there. It's gonna be a blast. For all the details about the events we just mentioned here on Sunday mornings and beyond, head to the app or the website. You can find the details there. Or you can check out sermon notes or giving and stay up to date on other things happening. Thank you so much for joining us, Prodigal. Have a great Sunday. Before we dive in, this is a message to our podcast listeners on Spotify and iTunes. If that's you, if you're listening to an Apple podcast right now, there will be some illustrations on today's sermon that just don't work because you can't see. And so you may want to watch this service instead of listen. You can watch it on the Prodigal Church app, website, or on YouTube. We're grateful for you. You are a part of the Prodigal Church family. Enjoy today's teaching. When people mess up, or when people make a big mistake. I think it's really funny. And when it happens on the internet, it doesn't go away. If you just look at social media, you'll see some of these examples, okay? Dana posted, what does IDK mean? Jesse responds, I don't know. Dana replies, oh, no one knows. Another Facebook user wrote, I hate hypocrites, hashtag goodnight. Except for hypocrites here is spelled Hippocrates, who happens to be the father of Western medicine. Okay, the last one, and this one gets a bit personal. So much for calling me, Dad. Let down once again. Who wants to call you Dad? No one. My dad said he was going to call me, but he didn't. Then the correct way to say it is so much for calling me, comma, Dad, ha. Who cares? Not your dad, obviously. Okay, that one, that, that's savage. Now, those are embarrassing. Uh, and they're forever enshrined on this thing that we call the internet. Have you ever posted something on social media that's embarrassing? Maybe it's not embarrassing as some of those that we just read, but it's probably not something that you would want your pastor to see. Uh, your embarrassing post might not make the internet hall of fame. But it's certainly not something you'd want us to show, you know, to the entire church. Like you would never want your entire church to go through your old Facebook posts. Why? Why don't you want us to see? Would we search and find something that perhaps isn't very Christian? Now, you post it for the world to see, then it should be okay for the church to see. Well, if you're a Christian, you probably just got pictures of your morning coffee with an open Bible next to it, right? Now, if we were to pull up your social media and broadcast it on this YouTube channel or on our website, you would have a mini panic attack. 
what are you hiding? Uh, also, you're not really hiding because it's on the internet. Paparazzi, the world is watching. We are in week two of our Paparazzi sermon series, and we've been looking at King David, the biggest celebrity in the Bible. And one of the reasons that David is so beloved, okay, pun intended, because his name means beloved, is that his life is such a mixed bag of good choices and bad choices, just like you and I. And his highs and his lows would have absolutely went viral had they happened now. And after some of the things that David did, he would have also been canceled. His biggest mistakes, his greatest victories, and his massive failures really have been published for the world to see. And they're recorded in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles, and in many songs, prayers, and poems in the book of Psalms. So today, let's open up our celebrity magazine and check out some of the paparazzi shots of King David. Picture one. Okay, this is David with his sheep. And the caption reads, David watching his sheep while his brothers are in the back playing. We talked about this a little bit last week. This, David had seven older brothers who were passed by by the prophet Samuel in anointing the king. And it's fascinating that Jesse, David's father, didn't feel that David was even worthy of an invitation to witness the event. Samuel was there for something. Someone was going to be anointed within the family. It wasn't every day that the prophet of God comes to your house, yet David isn't even invited to witness this momentous occasion in the house of Jesse. David was forgotten, and he was faithful when forgotten. David wasn't on anyone's radar, because in the Jewish mind, seven is the perfect number, eight is an afterthought. David was the eighth son. And this is a pattern that we see throughout the Bible. God is always passing over the people that make the most sense and chooses to use the insignificant, the lowly, the unexpected. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And he still does. So why did God choose David? Well, because of his heart. Yes, but what shaped his heart? Well, he was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. The rabbis say that when God chooses a leader, God looks to see how he tends sheep. Why? Well, in other words, will this person be good to the powerless and to the lost? Do they protect the vulnerable? Does he or she have a caring and compassionate heart? David did. David was faithful in the field, faithful in the familiar, faithful when forgotten. Some of us have been asking for an increase and God is asking us to be faithful where he has us, to be faithful in the everyday, to be faithful in the familiar. Be faithful in the field where God has placed you. And I really believe that that is God's word for some of you listening and watching online today. Be faithful in the field where God has placed you because the world is watching. God is watching. And even when you feel forgotten, you're not forgotten. 
that's picture one. That's the first snapshot the paparazzi got of David. David as shepherd. And now, picture two. David as fugitive. The caption is, David is on the run from King Saul. David as fugitive is a very long season in his life. So we're gonna grab our cameras and chase him down while he's on the run. So what happened? He was a simple shepherd, youngest of eight brothers. He was secretly anointed as king, and now he's on the run. What happened? Well, the day started out just like any other. David is in the field with his sheep, being faithful, doing what his father asks him, and his dad asks him to bring a sack lunch to his older brothers who were on the battlefield against the Philistines. And it is there that David sees a giant Philistine taunting Israel. You familiar with this story? And everyone is terrified. And David shows up and says, hold my beer, picks up a sling, and slays the giant. You familiar, right? David and Goliath? Well, it is after this that the legend of David grows and grows. Then there's this song that everybody starts singing. Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. Now, I'm not sure of the beat of the song, but the song had staying power, and it was on the top of the charts for months and months in the ancient world. People were humming the song while they were milking their cows. Kids were singing it on their way to school. Uh, Saul has slain his thousands. Oh, David his tens of thousands. Oh, I think it's catchy, right? Okay, it probably had the beat of Baby by Justin Bieber. Well, you can imagine how this song made King Saul feel. Why are they saying and singing, David has slain his 10,000s and me only a thousand? I'm the king. Now David is moving up in the world. And at this point, he is no longer shepherd. He's actually a musician in the court of Saul. On top of being an excellent slinger, David also plays the lyre, a, a stringed instrument in the ancient world, very similar to a harp. And David had been hired by the king to play whatever the king was feeling down. David would play and it would cheer him up. But after his victory over Goliath and the people's adoration of him, Saul had other plans. And so he puts David in charge of a battalion of troops and sends him to the front lines for him to die. But God always brought David victory. One night. David, and his good looks, and his songs, and his victories, it was just too much. And while he was playing the lyre, Saul picked up a javelin, threw it at him. It stuck to the wall. Now, I don't know what set off Saul. Perhaps David began playing the 10,000 song again. Saul has slain his thousands, oh, and then, I don't know, but Saul snapped. And he threw that javelin at David to try and kill him. And that night, David's wife, Michael, tells him, my father's going to kill you. You got to leave tonight. So David sneaks out the window. And Michael takes an idol, which is like a statue of a false god, and puts some goat hair on it, tucks it under his blanket on the pillow. So when Saul's men go to kill David in the night, uh, it's just a fake head. He was just here. Who knew that the men who escaped Alcatraz thousands of years later got their plan from King David and Michael? Thus, the anointed king of Israel 
is now on the run from the appointed king of Israel, Saul. And this greatly disturbed David's best friend, Jonathan, who just happens to be Saul's son. It's very dramatic, very soap opera-y, okay? Now, Jonathan has yet to acknowledge that his dad is evil and that his dad's trying to kill David. And so he's like, well, Dave, let me just find out if my dad's actually trying to kill you. It could have been a big misunderstanding. And David's like, sure. So that night at dinner, Saul asked Jonathan, hey, where's David? And Jonathan's like, well, he must have been back to his, his family's house in Bethlehem. And then Saul loses it again, this time at Jonathan. He grabs his javelin and he throws it at his son. Somebody needs to take away the spear from King Saul. And so Jonathan and David have this heartfelt goodbye and David becomes Israel's most wanted. Now David isn't alone. Several men who had served him in battle have also become convinced that God's hand was upon him. And so they too left the comfort of the palace to live life on the run. And life on the run is hard. But early on, David and his men had one thing going for them. No one knew that the king wanted him dead yet. Okay, he was still a celebrity. News took a while to circulate in the ancient world with no cell phones and no newspapers and no internet. So David's first stop is in a place called Nob. David has no weapons and they're hungry. So he goes to the monastery there and he speaks to the priests who live there. David starts with deception. He says, the king has sent me on a secret mission. I am not to speak of it, but do you have any bread or weapons that we can have? So the priests say, here's some bread, but we don't have any weapons. And they're like, no, actually, we do have one weapon. We have Goliath's sword, it's hung up on the wall. I'm sure you remember that sword, right? It's from the song. Saul has slain his thousands. Oh, David. Okay. So he gives him Goliath's sword. And as David and his men are saying goodbye to the priests of Nob, he notices a certain look, a certain stare from a man named Doeg. Now, this is a photo of Doeg. Not really, but I'm showing that little, the servant guy from Beauty and the Beast. Okay, this is who I'm picturing what Doeg looks like. Gaston's friend, you guys remember this guy, I forget his real name. And he knows something fishy is going on. So David's like, guys, let's get out of here. Where can David go where Saul cannot find him? Well, he goes to the land of the Philistines, Israel's enemies. So he goes to the king in Gath to seek refuge there. And you know the first thing the king says when David and his men enter the palace? Isn't this the same David from the song? This was a hit, okay? It made it into enemy territory. Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. And this terrified David. So he pretends to be insane in front of the enemy king. He starts drooling, spit is kind of dripping down his beard. He starts scratching the floor. And the Philistine king is like, well, this guy's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Get him out of here. Notice that the first two places David flees to, he ends up lying, deceiving them. Perhaps something he learned from Samuel the prophet at his very first anointing. Meanwhile, back at Nob, Doeg runs to Saul and says, hey, David and his men were in Nob. So Saul goes to question the priests. The priests say what happened, and they're like, what, why do you want to hurt David? He's the most loyal of all. And Saul becomes convinced 
that the priest have sided with David, so he orders his servants to kill them all. The servants refuse. They're not going to kill these priests at a monastery. We'll pick up the story in chapter 22, verse 18. Then the king ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests, with its men and women, its children and infants, and its cattle, donkeys, and sheep. Things just got real, real dark. The story of Saul takes a sinister and evil turn here. This is David's father-in-law. This is his best friend's dad. This is the first king of Israel, who was also once anointed by the prophet Samuel. And now he is responsible for the slaughter of innocent men, women, and children. Saul's jealousy, envy, and lust for power has now plunged him into a life of pain and little joy. It's consumed him. Now one of the priests escapes, tells everything to David. David cries, mourns the loss of life, and assured that this priest would be safe with him. And now by this time, David had built quite a following. All of the outcasts in Saul's kingdom are now following David. And word comes to them that the Philistines are raiding the town of Keilah. Now David doesn't know anyone in the town of Keilah, but it's a Hebrew city. And David and his men are in no position to do anything about it. They're running for their own lives. They're looking out for number one. But as soon as David hears about this town being attacked by the enemies, he does something that will also be a mark of his reign as king. He inquires the Lord about it. If ever there was a time for David to feel sorry for himself and just look after number one, it is this time. But David doesn't do that. There's no feeling for, sorry for himself, even though he's lost everything he's ever known. So he asks the Lord, should we attack these Philistines? And the Lord says, go. He sees a need. He could be looking out for himself, but instead he goes to save a town. He inquires of the Lord. In his letter from the Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King Jr. writes, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. And so David, the fugitive, and his men go to save the people of Keilah from the Philistines. He inquires of the Lord, and God says, go. Do you acquire of the Lord on any decision of your life, on what, where to live, what job to take, who to marry, what college to go to, what relationship to pursue, the Lord was with David and his men. David was faithful in the field. David was faithful as a fugitive. And the last snapshot taken of him by the ancient paparazzi, photo three, David in the desert cave. David and his men are in the desert of En Gedi and Saul and his 3,000 men 
Go and search for him. And David and his men are hiding in a cave. And Saul, being tired from all his searching, dismounts his horse and tells his men, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And while his warriors find a tree or a plant to squat behind, Saul, the king, of course, needs his privacy. So he walks into a cave and waving to his guards, I'm going to be a while. Okay, number two, obviously. So Saul gets out his cell phone and he is taking care of business in this cave. It just so happens that the Dookie Cave is the same cave David and his men are hiding in. Outside the cave were 3,000 elite soldiers. Inside the cave were 600 outcasts of society. And between them was King Saul with his pants down. And to make this a bit of a more modern illustration, and to grasp the humor that it was intended to be as a story, we're going to tell this story with emojis. Okay, so Saul is going to the bathroom. Okay, there's the poop emoji. David and his men see him and they're like, yes. And they tell David, this is your moment. The Lord is delivering your enemy into your hands. So there's the, the praise God emoji. And David is like, shh. So David walks up to the king. And remember... This is a crappy situation. This is in the Bible, I promise. It's chapter 24, 1 Samuel. And with his sword, David cuts off a tiny corner of Saul's robe. Saul doesn't even notice, okay? He's scrolling Instagram and Facebook and X, Twitter. He doesn't notice. And Saul then buries his business, walks out to his 3,000 troops, ready to hunt King David. And out of the cave, sounds a familiar voice. My Lord, the King! And Saul looked behind him. David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at the piece of this robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand that would indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. When David had finished Saul cries out, you're a better man than I. You've treated me so well. I have treated you terrible. Who does this? Who has the opportunity to kill their enemy, but then they refuse? You will surely be king. Just don't kill my descendants. David swore, and then Saul went back to the palace, and David went in the opposite direction, and they lived happily ever after. No, that's, that's not what happened. David doesn't trust him. Would you? But rather than taking things into his own hands, David places them in God's. David could have killed Saul, the hunt would be over, but he was committed to doing it God's way. You see, there are no shortcuts when following God. There are no shortcuts to discipleship. There are no shortcuts to a beautiful life. It is in the everyday choosing to be faithful in a field 
in the ho-hum of life. Faithful as a fugitive when we've been wronged. Faithful in a cave when you're tempted to take control rather than give control to God. Shortcuts short-circuit God's plan for your life. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Here's what struck me most about this season in David's life is that you can do all the right things in all the right ways and you're still gonna have lots of problems. I learned that jealousy and envy are not your friends. They're like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. I learned that placing my problems in God's hands might take longer, might take longer than I'm comfortable with, but God's hands are the best location to put all your problems. Even when everything is stacked against us, God takes care of us. God, I pray that we would be faithful in the field, in the everyday ho-hum, that the small tasks that we've been given Help us to be faithful in those, Jesus. And opportunities will arise. You are with us in that. God, I pray that when we are falsely accused, when we are being attacked, that we'd be faithful as fugitives. And God, when we are tempted, like David was in that cave, to take things into our own hands, to take control of things, God, that we would release that control and give our problems to you. I pray that we lay them at your feet. You're big enough to deal with it, God. We're not. Take our issues, God, our problems, our shortcomings, our struggles, our hardships, our trials, our suffering. Take control, God. We need you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week, Prodigal Church turns six years old. This has been the greatest six years of Sarah and I's life. We're so grateful for all that God has done these first six years in the history of Prodigal Church. You have been such an amazing blessing into our lives, and we can't wait to celebrate. And so next week, there's going to be an ice cream truck and face painting and inflatables and launching of our new merch and a photo booth and all kinds of fun things to celebrate all that God has done in and through our church these first six years. You're invited. We hope to see you next week. Grace and peace.